All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today, the guest is Coach Mike Chadwick. Mike is the head of performance and the founder of Tactical Athlete. Mike and his team of performance experts now coach elite sporting and tactical athletes from around the world, including organisations such as the UFC and International Special Forces. Mike was at the forefront of changing the way the British Army trained today. His vision was to create an army of tactical athletes, where Mike was awarded multiple times. Most notably, Mike was on the late Queen's birthday honours list, where he was credited with revolutionising the way the British soldiers train today. His methods are tried and tested from tactical athletes around the globe, boasting the highest pass rates for soldiers going through the most arduous military courses in the world. You can learn more about his philosophy of coaching in his best-selling book, The Red On Revolution. Mike is now using his expertise he gained from creating tactical warriors and athletes on the battlefield to helping you become a tactical athlete in your own life and winning in your own personal battlefield. And now, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I absolutely love your philosophy. I love your book, etc. But for the few people living under a rock who maybe don't recognize your name, could you give a quick introduction while you're tearing up fitness on the in the world, basically? Yeah, mate. So I'm Coach Mike Chadwick. I'm a former paratrooper, Special Forces Support Group Operator, Royal Army Physical Training Corps Instructor. And now I've subsequently left the full-time army. I'm in the reserves as such, but I'm a full-time coach. I'm an entrepreneur and uh, now best-selling author. And yeah, and that's, that's what I do, mate. I love it. I love how like you make it sound so easy, ozy, but you're, you're revolutionizing the, you know, the fitness sphere, you're changing how the, you know, the forces um, would dictate their fitness protocols to their, to their recruits. You've helped the pass rate shoot up. You know, you are changing so many lives with your coaching as well. But initially, you joined the army not as a kind of love to join the military. You did it to sort of become the breadwinner and help support your your family when your mom was sick and you know you needed to provide for your sister. How did you find that having that sort of pressure at such a young age? Because uh, you just kept pushing through all the tests that you had. Was that the motivation? just to provide and be there for your family? Yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm much different to, to why most people join up as soldiers, to be honest. I So I joined the army, not for Queen and Country. I've said this many times before. I joined, as you met quite rightly so, it was to put food on the table for my little sister. Um, my mum wasn't very well. She um, struggled. She subsequently died since. My dad left us when we were very young. 
I had to step up and that's what I did. And the quickest way I could get money was in the army. And then someone just so happened to tell me that I could get an extra 200 pound if I go a little bit harder and join the Paris. I didn't realize how hard that would actually be. Um, so when I turned up, I just presumed that was the normal. I just presumed that was the army. This is what it was. Um, I didn't really know much about it and train too much for it. And just, I just survived, I held on for dear life and, and somehow was one of the nine originals out of 60 odd that started. Um, but yeah, the, my why was so strong that if I didn't win, then we didn't get fed. I mean, that's an amazing sort of way of looking at it. Like to have that mindset of I'm going to do this because I need to provide for someone else, especially at such a young age, you know, to, to have that belief in your goal because you're supporting someone else is very rare. I mean, a lot of people come on the show and they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing this because it's always been a love for me, but to provide for someone and, and to take that extra responsibility on, that is phenomenal. I mean, that is something not a lot of people would be able to do. But you said in the book, if success is based on desire, how is genuine desire and goals setting? You know, like, do you find that a lot of men that come to you don't have a, a too genuine desire for their goals? They don't know what they want from life. How do you get athletes to buy into their goals? to find their true why in life? Um, so finding your why is the first chapter of my um, audio book, The Red On Revolution. And in regards to your question, finding your why and then acting upon it are two very, very different things. A lot of people want shit. Not a lot of people want to go out and get it though. And that's the difference between people. And predominantly that comes back down to your why. If your why isn't strong, if you like the idea of something, that's not as strong as I have to perform here or my sister doesn't eat. Who's winning in that? In that, you know, me. I win every single day of the week in that because my why is much stronger. Don't Definitely. get me wrong. There's there's other variables that play a factor into that. But finding your why is only the first step. Acting upon it is the second, the most important, and that's where we really see true people come through. And the way in which I do that is I never call anyone I work with a client. So for those, if anyone's in the personal training or coaching business, not one per, I don't have any clients, I have zero clients. I have athletes. And that doesn't matter whether you are a sporting athlete, a tactical athlete, whether you've never trained in your life. If you work with me from this day forward, you are an athlete. Now act accordingly. That kickstarts something. It changes the mindset. It just changes the philosophy on coaching. And what it does, it drives results because people start thinking the way they are. If I treat you like a client, and you pay me a service and you get on and you crack on, you do what you need to do, there's your program. We're going to fall out. We're not, it's never, it's never going to be sustainable. We'll get to a certain amount of growth, but we'll never find that biological tipping point. And at some point we're going to fall off. But if I treat you like an athlete and I develop you and I train you and I teach you and every single day, it's all in regards to developing you, what's known as perpetual growth, beating the person you used to be, you're going to keep competing with yourself. Then all of a sudden you start thinking, acting, eating, drinking like an athlete, socialize like an athlete. Everything you do is in regards to being a better version of you. That's what athletes do. And that's what I try and do is to change their mindset. I find someone's why, I work out exactly who they are, and then I build pathways as if they are an athlete to bridge the gap between who they are now and where they want to be. Very simple process. Because that's what I loved about the book. It was the focus on individualized programs. You know, it was your own personal battlefield. It was... You know, we're doing this together. It's your goal. It's your focus rather than you see these cookie cutter promos 
that they're giving out, and it's, it's like you said in the book about the Rock and it, um, and Piers Morgan doing star jumps to a Joe Wicks program. What's the benefit <laughs> of that? And I, lo- I love how you go into the book and you explain it in so much detail. And there's such you you know you you cover such a wide range of things, but it's that philosophy of you're not going to get anywhere unless we give you what you need for your, your goal. You know, you reverse engineer it and you work back. Is that the kind of standard mindset that you see people, clients initially failing with? It's the, oh, I can't I can't start a program until Monday or no, 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 I see this and it's a flashier uh, move. So I want to be doing that because it looks better than the actual stuff that will work for them. Well, the human demographic's changing whereby people want shit yesterday. Not many people want to work for it. And and that and that's draw that's been driven through technology. Um from you know, it is a fault of our own, but it's you know, people want results right now and they're not willing they don't want them to put the work in, and that's not the type of person I want to work for. I'll be your worst nightmare if that's you. And I, you know, so it's it's all about again going back to that why, but individualization doesn't is so rare because it doesn't make that much money because mm-hmm. it's it's non-time efficient. It takes so much time to take that much care in an athlete. And that's why people don't do it because you can't scale it. It's, it's, it's so hard to scale getting so personal with someone. Really, it's what I call the battlefield. So getting to know someone and their environment. And that's not as military-centric as what it sounds. Your battlefield is your everyday life. It's what, it's how you and your environment dictate everything else. And, me and my programming and my team, we go in and we plan around your life. Your life should never be planned around us. And that accounts for two things, sustainability and availability. We keep you training at all times because we know when you can. And if you've only got a 30 minute window, then that's what we're going to go and train. And there's no point in me prescribing that cookie cutter thing that you said before of an hour and a half brick session when you've only got 30 minutes to train. It's mm. not going to happen. So that's why people don't do it. And that's why it's so rare is because it's, it's not out there. And is this the sort of philosophy between the difference between a standard person, say, working out, you know, going hitting the gym to an actual tactical athlete? What would you say is the, the defining characteristic between the two? Um, well, I try and te- try and coach now and utilize the mantra of training everyone like a tactical athlete. And the notion behind that and the reason why I, I termed or coined that term was Tactical athlete isn't like a sporting athlete. Remember, everyone's an athlete. Tactical's the the prefix of that uh, that prefaces the athlete because it's in a tactical organisation, like your military, your fire service, your police. That's my biggest yeah. demographic. Um, but it, in sport, if you lose a game or you 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 have a a poor thirty minutes or whatever, that's a loss of points. It's a loss of pride. No one dies. In my world, if we get this wrong. People die. People get hurt really quickly. Yeah. So that's why I, when I was in the military, I, I had to make sure that people treated themselves like athletes. The serious is so, so serious that I was like, you've got to ensure that at all costs, at all costs, we train as best as we possibly can to ensure that we're ready for absolutely anything that's thrown upon us. And that's really, really important to me. So that could be crossed over to everyone in everyday life, just being ready for absolutely anything. And that's where the mantra red on comes from as, as you see is, is the is the prefix for every organization i've got whether it's the red on revolution the red on challenge the red on socks everything is prefaced by red on 
So how do you start building in that philosophy, that red on of, you know, it's like when you're jumping, you know, you come red light on to prepare, green light to jump, you just go straight away. You trust that the system, you trust in what your coaches, what your senior officers at the time, you know, depending on what it is, you will act and have your faith in that bit, that strip of nylon that's hold, you know, holding you up as you're falling from the sky, or you're, you know, you're believing in your coach. How do you? Why do you think you've been so successful in connecting with your clients? You know, you change the pass rates like to a, a disgustingly high level when you were in the services. But when people are kicking back at you and saying, "But why? But why?" How do you connect with them? You know, because you've done it so successfully. What is it do you think about this red on philosophy that has made your coaching platform, your app and all that been so successful? Results. Results spark confidence. No one believed in what I could do at the start and they only started believing when results started happening and people in the higher up started winning MBEs, etc. And in regards to the red on situation that you, you talked about there from a, from, a, from a plane point of view, a, if you don't jump, you're getting kicked out anyway. So you may as well go on the green light. <laughs> but that's 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 where it's that's where we've got that's where I got red on from. It was mm-hmm. everyone talks about the green light and being ready on the green light, and the green light's the most important. And it's not. The red on's the most important. What we do prior to that green light, there's a million things that could have went wrong. A million things that have happened prior to that. But if we get every bit right, and when you execute the mo- the movement on green and you leave the aircraft at the right time that's when you're going to start your day. You know, that's, that's me on my way to work. But the red on is the most important and it's being prepared for absolutely everything. That red light can be anything. It's not just military-centric of leaving the aircraft. That red light could be the whistle being blown at the start of a rugby match or when the lift goes out of order and you've got to climb five flights of stairs in work. That's your red light to go, I prepared for this. Lift's out of order, green light, up the stairs I go flying up i'm ready for the meeting i can still deliver because i'm physically prepared for anything and any in all situations that's what i mean by the red red on i mean do you use that almost as a sort of mantra do you think in life i mean because how do we make fitness into a system because you talk in the book about the difference between availability and our sustainability to train effectively you know you talk about looking at your life in terms of what's blocking you you know if you're a new father are you really gonna have time to train you know, there's no point being able to do it once and then you're knackered for the rest of your days. How do we start looking at what's holding us back so we can actually start building in this plan and actually seeing what the real like energy leaks in our, our performance, our life is that's going to hold us back and how we can really train around it, our life? Um, so I utilize something known as the minimal effective dose. We do the absolute bare minimum get the biggest bang for our buck now people may be thinking well that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard doing less can surely not provide you more but that's exactly what i do with some of the most elite athletes in the world so Mm. it's probably going to help someone who's never trained before doing the bare minute so when you do this is what this is the difference between availability and sustainability availability is the first thing we need to provide for for an athlete and that means a foundation of strength uh, really strong core, glutes are firing, legs are nice and strong. So we're available for every single session. Because if you come to me for a session and I just thrash you to an inch of your life, you're probably never going to come back. And you most definitely won't be on the next session because you're probably still going to have doms that would put a, a platoon of Marines on the sick. So mm. you, you, it, 
it'd be really it'd be really hard for us to keep a sustainable program. So sustainability comes through why first and foremost, but also through understanding people's battlefields and what makes them tick. There's no point in me sending you out for a run every single day when you want to go on stage because you you want to be aesthetically better looking. So we need to go in the gym and work on hypertrophy to build better muscle mass. It's all about understanding your why, and that creates sustainability and planning it in around your life. The minimal effective dose is one of the most powerful tools, doing the bare minimum. And uh, for example, when you, when you boil water, I think it's 212 degrees Fahrenheit is boiled. Boiled is boiled. You can continue boiling the water, but you just utilize, you just use up resources. Take it mm. off and use it somewhere else. It's, uh, so there was a recent study, wasn't there, on uh, the four-day week. Have you heard? Did you did you hear about that? Yeah, it's just as effective as the five-day week. Just as effective. So no. So out of the out of every, there was ninety-six percent of or ninety-two percent of the companies have kept it up after this trial. There was zero revenue drop across every single company. There was sixty-five um, percent fewer sick days. Um, uh, 70% of people uh, reported less burnout. That's by doing, it's called the minimal effective dose. So we gave our, we gave everyone less time, but we've got the biggest bang for our buck within that time because it's targeted. When you streamline things, when you've got something to do, like if you only have a certain, if you have 10 minutes to clean your house, you'll take 10 minutes. But if you've got all day and you've got nothing to do, you'll do other things. It'll take you all day to clean the house. So, Minimal effective dose is about being targeted and very specific in what you need to do. We have one hour to train. That's better. One hour specific, hard, arduous training that's specific to the task or aim that the athlete denotes is much better than three ridiculous, stupid wads that someone's found off Instagram. That's probably designed for an elite athlete, which is going to destroy them. It's designed for anybody, mate. Someone just writes it. But I'm sure people just make that shit up and see if it sticks. Because that's what I loved about the book was how you went behind your philosophy of why you're doing things. Because if I go to the gym, I'll see people squatting because that's what you're, they're told to do. But I like when you discuss how, you know, the army test used to be do, I think it was 50 sit-ups and then run a mile uh, running. But you were saying because the, you know, the ex, the hip, the hip flexors would then get tight through the, the sit-ups, you would then affect the running so how do you, you know, you would affect the performance? So it wasn't logical to do one and the other as a part of the test. So how do we get people to stop thinking in sort of checkers philosophy of I'm going to do this move? You know, how do we take power, like, you know, say like the bench press and turn it into power? How do we turn like, you know, I'm running on the treadmill, but turn it into speed or apply, you start using plyometrics to build explosive power. You know, how do we start thinking it's a 3D and making the body a system rather than, oh, I'm working on my glutes today, I'm working on my legs. How do we understand like that all leads into each other and an inferior muscle will affect that system producing its job later on? Um. I think I think what you're going down there is how do you call upon any component of fitness and and how do you train each component? So each component can be trained can be trained in UKSCA, which is our, our governing body for the UK for Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, there's another one, uh, NSCA as well. Utilize it so that what we have is we have guidelines and mm-hmm. we can utilize guidelines. An example of that would be the most optimal range to improve muscle mass could be seventy four percent. Um, and that could be eight between eight and twelve reps, between three and five sets, with sixty to 
90 to 120 seconds rest. That's just a guideline. We go plus 84%. We're starting to work in strength components. When we work with strength, the higher percentage, we have to do less reps and more rest. But we don't know that. We don't know those numbers unless we test. Now, this builds back into, um, this gives us a couple of things. One is that perpetual growth I mentioned earlier. When we test, the idea behind it is that I'm going to retest you at a later date. You are going to compete with the old you. And if we've both done our job correctly, my prescription was right and your effort matched it, you're going to be a new person. So you're going to go and fucking destroy that old you. That's powerful. That's you now being an athlete. And that brings power. That goes back again to um, results spark confidence. All of a sudden you're starting to think, oh, I am getting better. Okay, I like the feeling of this. Now what? Let's go again. Another thing that testing gives us is measurements, quantitative measurement in order to prescribe from. So I say to you, right, here, first thing I'm going to do, what's your why? Brilliant. I want to work with you. We're going to test. So first of all, that creates formalization. It starts to think of the process. I'm now an athlete. I'm testing. And it organizes us ourselves to start thinking this shit's real. Straight away, bang. And that might not be on a Monday. So be prepared, be prepared for that. What we then do is we then go into a training cycle because I now understand the body from a quantitative point of view. I got qualitative because I know you and I know you why. I now have a quantitative measurement by understanding how your body ticks. And I can do that by taking VO2 max, by taking simple strength tests like deadlift, etc. And I have a set protocol, how I like to test athletes and in order to uh, look at every component of fitness. But what we then do is we can then work from those test results and work within percentages or perception or within zones and the only way we can do that is by understanding those first initial numbers that's first and foremost what what people miss people miss those numbers out the first testing so 74 percent to build hypertrophy means absolutely nothing if we don't know our 100 74 percent of what one of the worst things i hate to see is is pdf documents that tell people to go and do eight reps of what you think you can lift what does that even mean what does that mean? Like, I don't know what that means. You know, and I've hmm. been in this game for a long time. So when we're giving that and a broad spectrum to, and these influencers will send that out to 100,000 people. And what they're then going to do is they'll then showcase you the best five. The other 99 odd thousand, I haven't got a clue what they're doing. They've just guessed. It didn't work. But the five people, or it'd be a bit better than that, 2%, 5%, whoever it sticks, they'll showcase that and go, look what we did. And they'll sell it to another 100,000 people. You know, and it's and it is that's the scary thing. But in order to truly optimize human performance through an individualized pathway, is to first of all test and then train within percentages, perceptions, and zones. Because that's something it's it's very rare. Because I've I've seen a lot of kind of fitness stuff over the years, and yours was the first one that kind of actually started explaining, you know, taking the goal and working it back, not just we don't really, you know, you want to get in shape. Years was actually okay. We're going to define what a shape, what being in shape means for you. What's what's your personal battlefield looks like? What challenges you're you're struggling with? But then you, I mentioned, um, I had to write it down. Where is it? Uh, you said if you're in the best shape you can possibly be, then you reduce pressure on your mental strength. So how do you find this changes your clients in terms of the mental strength? Why? What benefits? to their cognitive functions have you found from training in this manner, this sort of read-on approach? Um, so from a cognitive point of view, there are research studies out there and they did it, loads of them in universities whereby 
those who train had uh, there was there was more cognitively aligned with what their subject was, so they was thinking much better and much clearer because you know they've gone and trained, they've they've released all these lovely endorphins, they turn up, they're fresh, they're good to go. And um, I think there's more studies based on like cold showers in the morning, hot showers at night, etc. Very very similar. Um, but in regards to, I think what you're getting at there is in regards to my notion on willpower and. There's all these there's all these crazy people out there right now who some of them are incredible, some of them not so, all talking about mindset is everything. Mindset is not everything, especially in a performance-based goal. Because if you solely think that you're going to concentrate on your mindset, because David Goggins is screaming at you down your headphones, and you think that you can get through something without physically preparing, maybe you'll get through it once. Maybe you'll maybe you'll hit whatever it is if it's short, if it's a short-term goal, if it's not that hard. When shit starts getting hard and you think you're going to rely on your mindset from a minute one, it ain't happening. You know, and I think I use the analogy of the swim where Ross Edgley swam around an actual country. And I use that analogy and I'm, oh, I'm a decent swimmer. I could not swim around the country. So I don't give a fuck how loud David Goggins screams at me from the boat. My mindset isn't getting me through that because I'm technically not good enough to do it. So you yeah. can keep screaming at me and you can keep saying, yes, you can do it. We can do anything. You're a beast. You're an app. Whatever it is, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. How many times can we say that until I swim? Your, vo- your words can get fucked because words are worthless without execution. If you can't execute the movement because you're physically not prepared, then words mean nothing. So it doesn't matter. You might, your mindset will get you through a lot. It will. But you have to have that physical base, that foundation in order to action that. Um, I use the analogy of the, uh, the stretch race, I think, on, or a 10-kilometer run. If you start a 10-kilometer run, you've never done it before, and you think, I've listened to Jocko, I've, I've listened to all these mindset ones, and you know I'm, I'm prepared. My mind is what's going to pull me through this 10K. I'll just turn up and I'll do it. You might just do it. Can you do it again, though? And again, sustainability. But if you think that your mindset, if you if you in one kilometer, your body starts giving out, and you think, right, I ain't trained for this, I'm hurting now. And your body starts giving out at one kilometer. You got 90% of the race left, 90%. If you think you're going to perform optimally in that 90%, just because your mindset's great, you're not. You're going to be in all sorts of trouble. But if you mm. prepare adequately physically and your body gives out at nine kilometers, then you've only got 10% to rely on that mindset now. You can dig deep for a kilometer. We all can. Who's going to perform better? And that's what it's about. It's not about coming over the finish line. Me and you could go outside right now and we could go and do a marathon. We'd hit 26.2 miles. Right now, we can go and do it. It might take us, I don't know, four hours. It might take us two days. We might have to crawl over the finish line, but we'll do it. But that's not what it's all about. It's about how good you're going to look and can you do it again and how quick is your time. You know, and that's, that's what I mean by this this mindset mantra. It's going to get take you so far. You physically have to go and train. Because that's something I definitely noticed. I recently did, when was it? It was a, a few months back. I did a Tough Mudder, and I only had a few like few weeks to prepare because I kind of agreed to do it last minute. And I can remember how physically I could like you know do jiu-jitsu. I'd be throwing people around and all this stuff. Absolutely fine. But because I couldn't keep motivated i was giving up my body i was doing really bad sort of like leaps and jumps over things i was like slipping and sliding when i normally do and i wasn't physically prepared 
and I found my mindset just kept going, I should be able to do this. And I was getting more and more angry with myself as I went along because I wasn't physically prepared like I would. And I think that's that really hit home that bit in the book because it made me realize of how confidence is tied to your pre- preparation. You know, you fall back to the level of your training, not to this, not to the level of the situation. And does this tie in then with, you said, how you do anything is how you do everything. Is that the mindset mm-hmm. that we need to remember that th- everything is linked in this kind of red on philosophy that our abilities to like win on our battlefield is, you know, we need to keep that quality throughout everything we do. We have to approach it as an elite performer or thinking it as an athlete. Well, that's, that's talking to people like an athlete again. It's going back to that, the same system in regards to when you start talking to someone like they're an athlete and you're treating them exactly the same, they start questioning everything. Should I eat that? Do I really want to go out? Should I choose growth over company this weekend? You know, and these are the type of questions that you get people to start thinking about. So yes, how you do anything is how you do everything. And what I, I think, so I remember someone in the military used to always say, your, your standards are what you walk by. So if you walk by something that's below standard and you accept that, then that's your standard. Um, and that has always sat with me, always, always, always fed into me. I don't know who said it. I don't know where it came from, but it's always sat with me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still agree with that. And, And I think that's very, very true in in every walk of life. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and level up. Because it's something like I noticed that throughout the book, there were things that just kept kind of you were tightening up the discipline. You were tightening up our kind of like like a personal contract we have with ourselves. So how do you take somebody out of the shadows? You know, somebody that, because we live in such a clout chasing world, you know, we're always chasing that dopamine of the, the social media showcasing what we do. But you talk about the, the need to be a silent athlete, you know, to get the silent wins for yourself, to use that, a success for the future you know to use it as motivation for the next goal to keep pushing it's you know uvu how do we switch the athletes into understanding that using the intrinsic motivation rather than that stupid oh i get a like on instagram if i said i've done this you know how do we just achieve our goals keep quiet then go for the next thing and the next thing well, the secret athlete code of conduct is something I, I require all athletes to abide by. First and foremost, that's really, really poor for marketing. It's terrible for marketing, but it's so powerful for winning because yeah. you do it for you. You lose for you. You win for you. Everything's for you. And when you start breaking it down, it's so and we, and, and we begin this in training. So straight away, the first thing I do whenever I do it, one of the coaching calls for the tier one stuff is at the end of the call, I say, right, I'd like to accept you onto the program. Please remember from this day forward, you are an athlete. 
you are now under the secret athlete code of conduct. You don't tell anyone you work with us. We don't tell anyone we work with you. We train in science. We win in science. We do it as a team, but we do it in the shadows. We go and shock people. We turn up and we win absolutely everything. And, and we raise no questions. We, raise, we have no answers. We just keep winning and moving on to the next and winning that. And that's really, that sounds really great and it's really powerful, but it gets really difficult in training. But that difficulty in training is where we grow. So when we end up competing and whatever that aim looks like later, you've already grown so much because you're in your own head. Do you know how hard it is to do the right thing when no one's watching? To get that extra rep that I've supplied for you when no one's going to watch you. No one's going to clap you on Instagram. No one gives a shit. No one cares about it. Hmm. So do it anyway. Let's just do it in silence. You can go and upload, you do whatever you want to do. But I, my philosophy on it is, let's just train in silence. Let's just turn up and shock people. How good would that be? Because no one believes in you. But I believe in you. And you, if you believe in yourself, then we're going to get on great together. But we have to do this together. We have to do this in silence. And then let's just turn up and destroy everyone. And let everyone else behind us ask all the questions when they're looking at the sole of your boots. And are you... Because I noticed something like in the gym, people will knock out ten sets on a you know on a bench press, and they'll go home and that. But you ask them to move a bunch of boxes up some flights of stairs. Suddenly they're wheezy and they're giving up halfway through. They need to stop for a cup of tea and stuff like that. Do you kind of utilize like irregular training methods, like the army approach? Because when I've used to have like hay bales on the shoulder, you know, carrying the feed and stuff, and it's it's a case of you knew you had to carry that over the rough ground, put out the 20-kilogram bag of feed and stuff, you know, working with animals. Because if you didn't, they didn't get fed, and there's a chance that they could be hurt, etc. You know, how do you work with somebody to actually not just use, like, the disco muscles, but to actually build a system and make them realize that when they're tired, when they're fatiguing, you know, to learn from that fatigue, to learn from that stress, like you mentioned in the book, and actually use that as a, a point of growth, a point of understanding yourself so you become a better person and a better athlete for the next session? Is there a way to understand fatigue, et cetera? Yeah, of course. So uh, fatigue has an accumulation principle where it, it comes at you from all sorts of angles, whether you've got a shit night's sleep or poor feed or the baby's kept you up all night, whatever, whatever that looks like. Fatigue comes at you from all sorts of angles. So you've got to manage that and look after it and listen to your body. But in order to adapt in any situation, first and foremost, whether that's as a farmer or as a soldier, is understanding your why at the start and understand exactly what that athlete wants. If that's to move hay bales, then that's how we train. And predominantly, most things always come back um, to the core, uh, which is what I, what I would say is a leveler across the board is improving having core stability because um, distal movement requires proximal stiffness. So what I mean by that is if this, if the axle part of your body, if the inside of your body is all nice and solid and stable, then your appendicular, your arms and legs can move nice and freely and powerful and move like pistons. That can be crossed over into anything, whether that's you lifting the baby out of the car as a new mother or whether that's you flying up the stairs, as you mentioned before, or rolling over fields with hay bales or going through and kicking a door down and, and clearing a room in the military. Everything is attached it's it's a linked system and it's all linked through the core. So that's my leveler in what I do that. But everything else, whether that's disco muscles or whether that's someone who needs to go and do the hay bales, is done through understanding the aim, understanding the requirements within that, the muscle groups that require to go and move those hay bales, and then training accordingly and specifically towards that. 
So what do you do then to assist somebody, you know, because a lot of times people are great for a few sessions and then they hit the wall, you know, then they, you know, they're, they're maybe having a bad day and they think, oh, fuck, I can't get that extra rep. I can't get that, you know, rep. I'll, you know, I just give up. How do we push that wall back a bit more? You know, because it's fine when you start the session, but as you're going along, you know, you're maybe struggling. You, I think you talk in the book and your social media about like um, there was the army motto of execute, execute, execute. You know, are there mantras like that? Is there a way that we can kind of rise above the fatigue and actually just keep pushing ourselves through? Or is that just a kind of thing that you have to build that resistance by f- physical preparedness to build that cognitive ability? Uh, it goes back to the first question. Why? Why do you want that extra rep? Why are we doing this? Everything is a reflective position where it's in, on, and for action. That's how we reflect. And it goes back to that first question. Why? Why are you here? Remember, this is for you. Remember why you, Remember why we started this shit. Um, the execute, execute, execute is through, that's, uh, that's through Navy SEALs. That's what they do before breaching a room. Um, but in regards to in regards to that question and people asking those questions, intercession is in regards is always in regards to their question of why, why they're doing this, and it, and whenever I reflect, it's always I feel like this because I'm doing that extra rep in order to, and it's always in consideration of the aim, and I will always be there to give you the biggest kick up the arse. I'll tell you when you're great, but I'm your worst nightmare when you when you ain't getting that rep in. Um, but that all can also come down to inaccurate prescription. If mm. you're not hitting that extra rep every time, then potentially the prescription's off. Maybe we haven't got the percentage or the perception or the, that zone quite right in that moment. And that's my job. So that's my, on my back. But I don't know that if you don't tell me. So that's why we, again, reflect. We talk about it, always talking through it. Again, this is why you can't scale it. It's so hard to scale. And you can't do that if you've got 30,000 people on an app. It's really, really difficult. Um, so it comes back again. To that why it's it's such a powerful thing in whereby you know why you're here you know why you are training we both know we've done it you know you've promised me you pr- and, I, and if you don't want to get that rep in, then i take that personally because during our first initial com- conversation you told me you was in we did a deal it's called the deal you know we do these deals in all, all walks of life i mentioned this in the book like we've all been there before on a run and you think, do you know what? I'm just going to get that next tree and go, oh, I'm fucked. I, I can't get it in. Or when I've been on a loaded march and when I remember in basic training thinking, if I just fell over this stone now, it ain't my fault. And I, everything will finish. And I'll just stop. I'll get. I'll go. I'll go back. And then all of a sudden you keep, you're still talking about it and you're still moving forward. And you think, oh, maybe the next tree, oh, I'll, I'll suck it. I can't, I can't hold this pace. All right, the next one. The next one. And we make these subconscious deals all the time. We're constantly making these deals. Now, there's two there's two ways you can go in that. Number one is you stop. The only good that comes out of that is that it doesn't hurt anymore. But you don't grow. And that's what we always want. We want to grow as human beings. The reward for not stopping is incredible. It's so powerful. So if that one rep is holding you back, then your why isn't strong enough. I like it. But what if we do then make a mistake? What if, you know, we have a bad session, we miss all the lifts, our form's off, you know, we're maybe having a day where we woke up late or we ate something dodgy, etc. You know, how do we control the outcome 
and use it as a learning experience. You know, like how do we stop letting brilliant days run us off and think, oh, you were now fantastic and we can up everything? Or how do we stop bad days from going, you're shit, okay, you may as well just sack it off? How do we see these things as learning experiences and actually think, okay, I just need to speak to the coach. I need to speak to people who are doing this and go, what should I do now? How can I fix this going forward rather than a soul-destroying event and you know, giving up our motivation? Is it linked again to our why? But uh, Well, yeah, it is. And it's also linked to um, what we see every single day. So the only things we see on social media are the good things, the good lifts. You never see a coach putting up a shit lift or a PT with his wad or the PT will show you the wad and then say, do this wad. You'll never see him do that because he's hanging out his ass just as much as everyone else. We all have these bad days. Yeah. We all do. Everyone does. And the only way we can do that is for talking it through. It goes back to that conversation piece straight after. You're doing great. Don't worry about it. You've had a bad day. Talk to me about your scoff before. What What did you do prior? Right, okay. So your maybe your hydration window was a little bit too close to... Um, your session so here's what we're going to do next time we're going to change that slightly that part of the session went really well because I can see that I'm happy with that that part was a little bit off and potentially it's because um, your fueling principles weren't right prior your hydration window wasn't right so here's what we're going to do next time and we're going to go and absolutely destroy it and I know they are because we made a deal at the start I know this type of person if this type of person is constantly like that then they wouldn't have got on board with me anyway so I don't really work with those type of people I want people who want to grow and that's not everyone, mm. and it's not, and that's absolutely fine. But most people, when they really delve down into the depths of their mind and they have a strong why that probably almost or always has a physical presence, whether that's to be a little bit healthier for your kids and live as long as you possibly can so you're with them forever, that's a huge why. If I told you that I have all the ideas to allow you to do that, all you've got to do is listen to me and trust the process and act upon my words and act upon the numbers and apply effort to the accurate prescription and you will grow and you'll live longer and you'll 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 be able to be with your kids for longer there's someone would snap your hand off but it, again it, it's about it's about understanding what you truly want in life and if you truly want something you'll work hard and when there's those shit moments someone's there to pick you up you know, and that's what I do as a coach. That's what coaching is. That's the difference between a PT and a coach. I actually coach mm. the person. A personal trainer provides a series of letters and words and then leads them to it. You know, and that's, that's why I've, that's why I see the difference as a personal trainer and a coach. A coach is someone there who has the psychological backing, the physiological backing and the psychosocial backing whereby they can physically provide you specific training for a psychological output. They can really see what your habits and your mental resilience, they can, they can understand you as a person. Then the, the the psychosocial element is on a connective level of communication where we can talk to each other, talk it through, and find a way around that shit day. Because it's one shit day. You know, and there's there's, there's a... I seen some of the, the theory the other day about an Olympic champion, about the rule of thirds. You may have seen it, where coach, this, this, this girl's an Olympian, you know, really, really great at what she does, weightlifting. And their coach's rule of thirds was you'll have really good days, really shit days, and really average days. And as long as you can look at it and go, well, I've had a really shit day there, but yesterday was a good day. And the day before was an average day. Then you're in a rule of thirds. You're doing okay. Mm. So don't worry about it. Move on. It's called the rule of thirds. And it's we are going to have these bad days all the time. But let me tell you what is going to be a good day. 
when we retest, we perpetually grow and you've just destroyed that old person. All of a sudden you go, that bad day wasn't so bad. I was like that. Um, was it, I can't remember where I, read, I heard it first and somebody was saying, did you really have a bad day or did you have a shitty 20 minutes? that you're going to sulk about, you know. And I think that's true. It's like we go, oh, well, that's it, ruined. I'm going to go away and eat a pizza. I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to, you know, they they sack off the whole week rather than going, it was just a bad session. And I like like that kind of approach because you mentioned throughout the book is like the contracts we have with ourselves and how, you know, keep quiet, win for you. But yeah, it's like in social media, you only ever see people putting up their best post photos, their best highlights. You know, we're judging our entire lives and, that's why it's got to be individualized. It's got to be your personal approach. And I, I was really impressed at the start when you were mentioning about the testing that you do for people, how it's not just a one-off testing and then you go and do a bunch of stuff, how you can routinely test and how you're using this to readjust and tweak your program to suit them as they become better athletes you know, in all areas of their life. So what kind of data are you taking from the athlete? And while people are working out, what do you want them to track? Is it how they're feeling, their water intake, how they're feeling at the end of the session, their recovery the next day? What kind of data are you looking for to keep them progressing along in their program? Well, firstly, data is useless if you can't use it. So every piece of data I take from an athlete, it gets implemented into the physical training program off the back of it. So for example, that could be strength tests. As I mentioned before, it could be something as simple as your back squat, deadlift. You can work out um, your VVO2, your max aerobic speed for a five minute test, um, a running test or whatever training modality you want to do. So for the rowers, it'd be rowing. Um, and then you've got all sorts of other data by asking simple questions, but how did you sleep? Um, how fatigued are you? Uh, talk and um, hydration windows talk to you about your water intake about your food intake i'm not i'm a qualified nutritionist but i not the best so i hired the best in the country to come and help me with that side of life mm. but the most vital one that everyone misses and it's the most incredibly powerful tool you can possibly have as a coach is the very simple question of how do you feel today how are you so simple that can answer so many questions about everything that shit day can be derived because I just don't feel good today. And that could be me before we even get on that session by going, right, scrap that because I'm going to push you to an inch of your life there. And man, I I don't think you need that right now. However, some people do. Some people having a shitty day need that thrashing. Some people having a shitty day don't need anywhere near that. So here's what I'm going to do. Scale it back and do this instead. You've got to understand your athlete. Getting to know them is very difficult. It's um, time constraint is it's, it's very difficult it's like again why not many people do it um, but knowing your athlete and knowing what makes them tick is is the best part about it but remember in a physical development standpoint you only grow from the stimulus that you can recover from so if you just go and thrash yourself every single day regardless of how your thought and feelings are you can't just go on a linear trajectory and grow and grow and grow. Otherwise, the 100-meter record would be five seconds and we'd all be doing sub-four marathons and sub-two-hour marathons. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's, you know, so it's, uh, it's not a linear trajectory. You will have shit days. You're going to have great days. You're going to have days where I prescribe something that doesn't even touch the sides. And what most people do in that moment is go, well, I'm going to push the pace. And I'm like, I'm trying to hold people back saying, no, there's a bigger picture at play here. If I've asked you to do eight-minute miles, do eight-minute miles. I know you feel like 7.30. 
we ain't doing that today. We're doing eight minute miles because I understand your body. I understand what makes you tick. And we're doing eight minute miles because I know you can do that over six, seven miles, whatever it looks like, because tomorrow something big's coming. So if you do seven minute miles today because you feel great, that sustainability again, are you going to be available tomorrow for what I really want from you? So it's understanding the bigger picture. You understand your athlete and we both agree on the pathway and we stick to it. Because you mentioned that in the book of, you know, trust the process. Just, you know, f- listen to it. Trust is like the, the parachuting example, you know. Trust that the parachute's going to be there. Trust that you can jump out, that every, you're going to be safe. You know, you're just going to follow your training, etc. And that's, I think, a big selling point in the book. You know, it's not just you saying, do this, do this, do this. You go and find some of the best people in the world, like UFC fighters, like the Stoltman brothers. And you ask, you know, like why they don't go and do PRs. So you ask the best in the world why they don't do PRs all the time. You know, you have a, you went and found one of the best nutrition guys to talk on that. You know, that you have so many great examples of people who then back up the evidence you're using as well as all the evidence of the success that you've had on the app, et cetera. But talking of like diet and stuff, you know, people are always about like carb windows and when to take my protein shakes and stuff like that. Did you find there were like key factors in nutrition, water, et cetera, that could take somebody from average to elite that could really help them? Or is it always about the training and what you put into it? Yeah, so not on its own. So nutrition on its own will not take someone from average to elite. There has to be a, a holistic approach to training through yeah. arduous physical development first and foremost and adapting from those stress we apply on it. That alongside nutrition can help you. But again, I'm not your man for nutrition. Um, I can answer very simple questions, but uh, you know, I, I'm a very fond believer of staying in your lane. I'm very good at understanding the body and how to manipulate it. One thing um, I did in the military was increase calories by getting an extra meal in um, on one of my most successful programs I did. It was known as Op Achilles. I didn't name it. I don't like the name, but that's where we tripled the parachute regiment pass rate. We had an 88.5% pass rate for P Company, which I think was that one of the highest since World War II. And these are 16-year-old kids. Now, all I did there was understood the athlete that, and I utilized something called the youth physical development model, whereby we understood that they was in what's known as peak height velocity, peak weight velocity. They was going for a huge change post-puberty. That, with the increase of testosterone levels, meant that if we utilized the hypertrophy principles, 74%, we could build muscle mass around the joints that normally get injured in basic training. And all already, we're mitigating the most common cause of failure at Pyreg, injury. We're getting rid of it. So now we've done that. Now let's build on that. What else can we do? And then it was in regards to, okay, if we're going to do hypertrophy. They're not getting enough food in because it's X amount of calories. But the best thing that happened in regards to the food wasn't the main principle of why I did it. I wanted to do it because in Harrogate, they're all in different There's about 1,800 people on camp at any one time. So they're all spread across. The first time they all meet each other at phase two in Catrick, they're already at phase two and they're getting thrashed by Parareg. And... I thought that's no good because they don't know each other. So they're never going to work with each other, never going to work hard for someone. One of the tests in the Paris is a five-mile stretcher race. Now, if you know that person on the stretcher, first and foremost, you ain't putting that stretcher down. That's the most important. And I've been in that position before where you will run till your feet are bleeding because you understand the person on the stretcher needs help. Second to that is if you understand the person who else is carrying the stretcher, you're going to work hard for them because if you let go, they are going to carry 100% of your load. Are you okay with that? 
Are you okay with your mate doing that? But if you don't know that guy and you're with a shit, crack on, mate. That's your weight now. I'm yeah. out. And I was thinking, well, let's fix that. Let's make them all eat together. Nine o'clock at night, no one else, no other units allowed with them, just part, just the people who want to join the Paris. And we created a cult. We created this little group of people who, and I was bringing in serving paratroopers to come and have a little chat with them and people who was coming and have little conversations, just having pizza, whatever it looked like, just getting calories in. And that was the biggest win that we had because now they knew each other. So now when they jumped on these tests and these, you know, these hard, arduous events that they had to go and do post um, the Army Foundation College, they all knew each other. So they all worked hard for each other because they was all there. They was in it together. There was a team now. Their sole aims, what started, was now a whole aim. It was everyone's aim. We're going to do this together. That's why the, the, the pass rate skyrocketed. And it started through the vision of increasing nutrition. Uh, increasing calories and in the end i realized that what we can do is we can prove the psychosocial elements of development by just getting them to know each other and be a team and is that because in the book you talk about you know being the silent athlete but finding the people that are going to help you you know find your support mechanisms you know it could be getting on board your wife your family your your friends who are not going to try to push you down into like bad habits they're going to support you when you're having bad days etc is that the what you found is key is that relationships like you're saying you know building that culture that we also need to find a culture within our own personal battlefield our own kind of like headquarters where we have that relationships to is that a key to success do you think yeah, so uh, carrying on from what I've just mentioned in regards to all the Achilles lads all eating together, one of the things I wanted to make abundantly clear, and I sat, I sit them all down in the first session, I'd say, listen, you are not a paratrooper yet. You are not there yet. So do not cut around camp to the other units explaining to everyone just how great you are, because you're not. Hmm. However, so what we do, because what we was doing was basically so much more than what everyone else was getting. They was getting more meals. They was getting more uh, presentations by these big wigs. They was getting more advice. They was getting better programming. It was incredible. And in the end, they ended up doing it for everyone. But at the start, it was just them. And I was like, I don't want you cutting around camp and showing off about what you're getting. They was getting T-shirts and socks. They was getting all new kit that no one else had. And I was like, you wear that stuff on PT only. And you never talk about Achilles to anyone else. I don't want everyone else. You are a secret athlete. This little group, chat amongst yourselves. Be powerful together. Everyone else, you are exactly the same as them. Because you've done nothing yet. You've done nothing special yet. You are not special. So you have to go and earn that right. What you want to go and achieve is outrageously hard. And I'll give you all the tools to do that. But you must apply effort to it. But outside of these walls, whenever we're not training, you don't talk about it because it's not fair in everyone else. So we do it in here and in here only. Let off all the steam in here. Go and win everyone else in every event, in everything that you do. Make sure you are there and you are number one, you win it. But you do it amicably and you do it where you don't talk about it, you don't tell anyone, you don't show off, you just win. And that's it. Keep your noise down, you're the secret athlete from now on. And that was very powerful around in the camp as well. I love that. I love how you kind of take areas that most people just ignore you know it's always about like changing the reps changing the sets what is with you you actually dial into the like the social the psychological the social uh, relationships you know you tweak those little things that has the biggest appeal to an athlete because you truly understand performance it seems you seem to truly understand the body and the people that you're coaching but what would you want them to do in terms of recovery you know between sessions i mean 
you know, we could talk about like box breathing to um, to calm yourself, you know, before you go and compete and stuff like that. But what kind of things do you do? You know, is there things that older athletes need to do or do you have a recovery protocol that you would want everybody listening to start implementing them in sessions so they go to the next one at the best ability? So you're, that one of the hardest things going back to um, organising training for people in tactical populations is that they also have their own training they must abide by. So the most difficult part is about, again, understanding their battlefield and understanding that what I prescribe has to be in consideration of what they're already doing. Yeah. Same with same with the UFC athletes, etc. What they do on the mats is the most important. Doing your sport is the most important thing. In the tactical profession, doing your job is the most important thing. I can't control that. But no saying that. That's through your tech coaches on the mat or in the octagon or whatever it is. I've got to prescribe mine in order to make sure that you're fresh to do that. So plotting that in is very, very difficult. But in regards for the whole population, especially for those older athletes that you said, is your post-workout routine is the start of your next routine. So when you finish, you're already beginning and processing what's going to happen next. Uh, and therefore, so there's, there's, there's things out there like uh, you've got cold water therapy, etc. Um, all these things are great for a quick turnaround. But the most important thing is actually sleeping and eating like an actual adult. So most people get this wrong. Most yeah. people go all the way down the road of a thousand pound massage gun and um, fucking sleep chambers and all sorts of crazy stuff, cold water plunges in the garden. And, and they're all great, but get the get your sleep and get your food done right first. Then all this shit will give you a 1% later down the line. But you get that stuff right first. There's no point in getting into a cold water plunge in the morning to recover because you've, you've only had a three hour sleep because you've been up playing cod all night eating Doritos that ain't going to do anything for you. You've got to get your shit in order. And it's this, it's the simple thing. Get you, just do nothing. Just chill, chill out. Biggest thing I can give my athletes, if they have the ability to do so is relax, go to bed early, hydrate and get some loads of fuel on board, get ready to go again. Um, and that's the most important thing is that I can ever, ever say is sleep and eat like an actual adult who wants to perform. I love that. I love that approach of, using your end of your current session to prepare for the next session and i think that's where we we get it so wrong is we always think recovery is you know it's trying to fix from the last session we're not thinking about the next one we're immediately just thinking oh i'm going to be tired and that you know rather than going what can i do now to make sure i'm on performance the next session i I just love the way that you look at these things so I know we. I would love to go into round two and look at the book because I know I've kind of bounced around here because there's just so much. The book is phenomenal in terms of the quality, the depth, the experts you bring in. I highly recommend it. It's a it's a really hard listen at times because you really cut the bullshit. You know, you cut through the the lies we tell ourselves. The oh yeah, no, don't worry, I could do that if I wanted to. You know, but you actually show how you need to put this effort in you have to make the contracts you have to be a silent athlete you have to actually push yourselves into this to you know find our why to really chase to get our dreams how do you want people listening to use the book to use the red on challenge you know the app etc how can we start using it to change our lives well, there's, there's, there's two things there that you can, you can do. So you've got the theory and the practical. It's, it's, that's pretty much how I began this journey is I, 
I enrolled onto a degree whilst I was still serving in the army. Um, I didn't tell the army I was in uni. I didn't tell uni I was in the army in a full-time degree. Uh, binned every external influence I had. I chose growth over company. I mentioned that term before. Uh, I, so I, I had no telly. I had nothing but books, my laptop. I was the most boring person you've ever met. But I was reading and listening. And every single night, I was then putting all this, all this energy into my mind and then implementing theory into practice the following day to you know potentially 200 people. There was no one in the country at that time who had the insight that I did. I was in full-time uni in the night because I'd have to catch up because I missed the stuff in the day. Then the following day, I had like 200 people through like four or five sessions of 40, 50 people. You know, and it was so, and for me to be able to have that theory and that that amount of demographic, that amount of experience was so powerful. Um, so that was really important. And now I've got the same philosophy now where you've got the book is the theory behind the physical development within the app. If you lose both at the same time, you're going to be educated. You're not going to need me forever, which is what more really important to me. It's not, I don't want you into a never-ending subscription. I want results. I'm in the business of results, not money. It's all about winning for me. So if you can take the theory and implement that into practice every single day, then you are going to grow. I, pr- I can assure you that. And what happens if you have somebody listening just now who wants to work with you? Because you you made the big step to move away. You were changing the, the paths rates on all the stuff in the army. You know, that you were taking the fitness development to a level that it's never been at. How did you a, come away from that and decide to take that step for your own business? You know, because that's a massive career change. How did you deal with that fear? And what would you say to somebody that wants to work with you, you know, that thinks this is the coach for me? What do you want them to show you before you would consider taking somebody on? Because I know you've got a process and a call, et cetera, on the app, but how do we know if we're right to take on the red on um, kind of challenge? Uh, so I'll answer that one, that part first. Um, it mainly, we have a conversation, but when we have that conversation, you you need. I don't care about your your current capacity of training. I don't care about your training. You don't care how physically prepared you are. All I care about is how much you care about that aim. I get people coming to me with all sorts of stuff, and I you know I get things. And I think fucking hell, that's so powerful. I'm so in. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Where people have have recovered from illness, etc., and now all just all they want to do is something small, but it means so much to them. And I get other people who, majority of people, my biggest demographic are parachute regiment and Royal Marines who want to go on special forces selection, if I'm being honest. And, you know, and that's that's a huge why. It's a huge commitment to that process. But it's absolutely anything. As long as you have got, you know, the utmost need and want to go and achieve that aim and you'll do anything to go and do it, then I am your man. I am fully in. And you can you can get me on coachmychadwick.com or most people send me a message on Instagram. It's at Coach Matt Chadwick. I get messages all day, every day about physical development. Um, hopefully you can place them in the show notes, etc. And then message me on there and I'll put you in the right direction. If, if I don't know the answer or I'm not the man to help you, I'll definitely know someone who will. And I'll put you straight in there in the right direction for that. Um, you don't have to apply for the app. So you can download the Red On Challenge. Um, and again, in your show notes, what I will do is I'll place a... I'll give you three weeks free coaching within the, within the app. Um, there's no funny business at the end. There's no ridiculous subscription that you're going to get already bounced into. It's just three weeks of, That's awesome. accurate, Thank you. Um, of accurate, 
hard, arduous training to be prepared for that. I am going to push you. That's the name of the game. It's not going to be easy. It's not for everyone, but it's three weeks there that you can go and push and change your life. Um, so that, and you don't have to apply for that. That's yours. It's on the app. It's the tier two. The tier one stuff for those who take in I've got really ridiculous, serious aims or at the higher echelons of elite performance. Then you can go on coachmatchabit.com and you can apply um, for my coaching there. And that's just a 30-minute phone call where we just find a little bit more about each other and, and ensure that we're the right fit to, to work together. And so now that you've run your own business, you know, you're know you doing this and you know, you've made the, the step away, what do you want the evolution of it to be? You know, because... You just seem to be going from success, success to success. You know, you're having through thousands of people who are making win after win. You know, you they're just achieving their own success. How you know? How do you want to take this? Do you have plans for taking this further in the future, or are you just happy at the moment of being that silent partner? Like you know, you because you, you talk about it's a we, not you. You know, you're actually being like their biggest fan you're setting them on their path and letting them do their thing and helping them along the way. Are you happy in that role? Is that what gives you the biggest joys in life or do you want to take your, this sort of platform further? Um, you know, the final chapter in the book is called Now What? And it's, it's in regards to every athlete I ever work with, everyone I ever, ever do anything with is we go and hit an aim and it's always the same question at the end. Now what? Because it's never enough. That 200 kg deadlift that we all aspire to go and do, when we hit it, it's like, yeah, it felt good, but now I want 205, yeah. 210. Remember those you know, days. That sub four-hour sub four marathon felt really good at the moment. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at the next one going, 350. I can hit 350. It's now what? That's a human... That's a, that is the desire inside all of us. And I'm the same in business now is that I am never, ever settled and never comfortable. I always want more. You know, things are, things are nice now. I'm home every night. No one's trying to kill me. No one's trying to shoot me. I'm home every single night with my family. But I'm not happy. I'm not comfortable. I want always, always, I'm striving for the next, for the next and more. And that's not popularity. I don't care about that. All I care about is more wins. I love nothing more than getting a text message of someone going and getting into the hardest arduous course in the world. And all I get is a message saying I'm in. Now for me to go and sell that on social media, my business would blow up. It'd be incredible. I'd be, I would earn a ridiculous amount of money if I could showcase the people I work with and the wins that we have got. I'm not about that life. That message is enough for me. And I go to bed very, very happy knowing that. And that's all I want in life is to win. And that makes you so unique compared to coaches who are doing it for the clout, for the money, this, you know, like when I actually read the book, I felt like you genuinely cared about your athletes. And then, as I seen how you would talk about the athletes, but you would never, you know, show you never use photos, you would never use their names, you know, you would ask their permission to do it. You were just like that friend who's there to help us along the line, and you you enjoyed our win as much because you you enjoyed the passion that we got from it, and I love that, and I think that's why you're you're so successful and why you're such a good coach. What would you want people to take from this? Like, you know, I know how we kind of bounced around a bit and literally every chapter was a couple of hours of a podcast on its own. So we've, we've definitely got to do a round two, but I hope I've kind of sold the idea of like tactical athletes and red on challenge because I, think, I truly think it's life-changing. But what would you want people to take from this? 
I just believe that everyone can be a little bit greater than what they expect. I genuinely believe in people. I believe that you can grow astronomically. I believe that we can reach your genetic tipping point. There's so much more to you than what you think. And all it takes is something small to unlock that, predominantly a why to start with, and then just putting yourself above the parapet and training hard, overloading the system. Go and find out how great you can be. And if you can take that away from this, then I'll be very happy. And just to sort of reiterate, I mean, we'll have in the show notes on the app, etc. What's the best? Is it your, you know, could you just go back over your website handles just so everybody's aware of like your website, your Instagram handles, etc.? Yeah, mate. So I, my website is coachmychadwick.com. My um, Instagram, Facebook, all that sort of handles is just at coachmychadwick. Um, and you can reach me on there and ask me any questions that you, that you feel like. So. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.